of Epic Empires, and you are listening to the Half Court Press Podcast. Hi, I'm Alan Forsyth, and you're listening to Half Court Press Podcast. This is Ayana McLean, and you're listening to the Half Court Press Podcast. Welcome back to the Half Court Press podcast, umpiring special series uh, called Whistleblowers. My name is Theo McLeod, and today we have hockey umpire Duncan Ruzick. Hey, Duncan. Hi there, Theo. How are you doing? Not too bad, not too bad. Um, as a first-time interviewee on this podcast, can you uh, tell us a bit, a bit about yourself? Yeah, certainly. So, um, I've been born and bred in, or I was born in Wales actually, um, moved up to Scotland when I was about five or six. Um, my, my dad played hockey and so did his dad, so I was sort of born into the hockey family as such. Um, had a hockey stick as soon as I could, as soon as I could walk or even before then. Um, started playing for Dunfermline Carnegie, which was the club my dad and granddad were at. Um, played for them for a few years, managed to get into the district squads, um, 16, 14, 16s and 18s, and got into the Scotland under-16 squad. Um, got two caps for Scotland under-16s before at training camp ripping the medial ligament in my knee, um, which obviously caused me to be out playing, out of playing for quite a, quite a while. Um, and then part of my rehab and physio when I was coming back to stay involved, I took up umpiring at under 14 level and I was told um, you could actually be quite good at this. Do you fancy doing it a bit more? So that's how I started, got into umpiring um, and then through mentoring and stuff, I've managed to, to progress to where I am today. I think, I think the, uh, um, there's quite a few umpires, it would seem, out there that have taken, taken up that side of the game as an alternative career, either through inability or as a, as a player or serious injury like yourself. Yeah, um, I totally agree with you. I think it's a way to, to still stay involved. And if, if you're good at it, there's a chance you can, you can go a lot further um, than you would as a player, because as a player, you're potentially fighting for a number of places um, that might not be there. And the talent level is so high um, as a player that there's key qualities you must have. Whereas as an umpire, your own personality and individuality can, can shine more than just skill. Also, I think umpires, especially I think in the amateur regions of the game, uh, lower league like where I play, are both the most in-demand individuals and least popular amongst any, <laughs> any club. Yeah, um, yeah, I would sort of agree with that. Um, in the club aspect of it, you, you are quite alone at times unless you've got a really warm, welcoming club. Um, but I found once I stopped playing that you do become a bit of an individual um, and the, the club might just see you as an umpire and, and stuff like that. Thankfully, when I was still at Carnegie, um, I was still playing the odd game when I could. So there was still that involvement Um but like say when I was injured and stuff like that, then you are a bit of an individual. You're a one-man team or you and your colleague are your own team against the rest. Do you, do you still play? Um, occasionally. Um, I've, this season, I left Dunfermline Carnegie through personal reasons. Um, so I, but I was still playing for their sort of third team and second team when I could, when they were available, when they needed me. Um, but being a National League umpire throughout the season, I'd be away Edinburgh, Glasgow, Dundee, Aberdeen, and that take, the travelling time takes up majority of your day, so it'd be, only be by chance if I could actually squeeze a, a playing match in as well. Do you miss it? Do you miss playing? Oh, 100%. Absolutely 100%. I mean, I've still got my, my sticks and stuff in the, in the bottom of the hall with a couple of hockey balls and I knock a ball about, and I, I still miss it. And even if... I'm going to a game, I'm doing a club game or such, and I go a little bit early if it's local. I might take a stick with me and have a wee knockabout. Or even if I, when I was injured, just watching, I would, I'd go and warm up one of the goalkeepers and stuff like that. Yeah, how does it compare to, to umpiring? I mean, I, I know for a fact, personally, I've got a lot further as an umpire 
at this age than I would have a player. Looking at some of the boys that I grew up with in the, the districts and the and this um national squads, like playing playing with the likes with Lee Morton, um Duncan Riddle, stuff like that. The boys that are now senior G B or senior G B is in terms of Lee Morton and then Duncan Riddle in the senior Scotland squad. Like the the comparison between me and him is nothing else. Like he is well and truly above me I think I would have fizzled out after under 18s if, if I was lucky to even get that and you, just be a, a standard National League player You look about the same age as Alan Forsyth Me? Yeah Did you say? Yeah. Oh, no, I'm, I'm a good few young, years younger I'm only 25 so yeah. I think he's a couple years older than me um, but even his skill level unbelievable Yeah I was, I was speaking to another um, Scottish international uh, in one of our previous seasons, he was saying, Forsyth's shots and training were the hardest he's ever come up against. Yeah. Sticking his feet through the pads, sort of thing. Um, yeah. So I, I hear that your dad was quite a decent player, uh, umpire potentially himself. Yeah, he was. Um, it was between, between my granddad and him, it was them that obviously mentored me quite a bit um, when I first got into my umpiring career. Uh, my dad was, was in the RAF. He um, played for the station and stuff like that um, when he was in the RAF. Played first team hockey for Carnegie for a number of years and Penarth down in South Wales um, before he had um, quite a major injury as well. I think he tore the cartilage in his knee twice. Um, which made him stop playing, and and that's when he took up umpiring more full time. Um, was it with the russets and the knees? I know. Um, it's I th- to be honest, I think it's been the the, the change of um, moving from grass to to astroturf, um, because there's le- in grass when you plant your foot, there's obviously a bit more of a give. If your if your knee or your ankle wants to go, the the grass will move with you, whereas on astroturf you plant your foot. And that's it's planted, so there there is more injuries. I feel, in my personal opinion, because of the pitch we play on. Um, you know, I've I've played on quite a few Astros. Um, through, so I'm not the greatest hockey player in the world. That's why I'm doing this. And it's, uh, I don't always get to play on the nice water-based Astros that we have. Yes, some of them are a bit a bit firm. Yes, definitely. Um, I think it depends on the type of shoe you have as well. I mean, if you're, if you're using brand new shoes, um, your, your grip's second to none, so you're not going to get any of that sort of give. Um, and that's how I actually done my, uh, <laughs> all my injuries, um, was just because my, my foot's been planted. I've tried to turn or lead away, and, and then I've, something's happened. I, I mean, how does that... Does... does, does... The movement patterns in, in umpiring, does that help? Is that, is that better or is it? Yeah, um, I think because of my injuries, like um, I, I've broke both my ankles and torn ligaments in both my ankles four years apart. Um, one, was, one was from playing, the, the other was actually from umpiring um, out in Belgium, um, where it was just a case of I've, I've tried to plant my foot and push away because I've had a, a quick counter-attack and I've just the ankles just rolled and, and it's just snapped basically. Um, so now I've got to obviously accommodate for that. I can't just stop and change direction. So having to accommodate for that, the running patterns are much better because you're not having to change direction as quickly because I can now factor it into to my running style. Um, but there, there's less demand, I would say, on direction changes as an umpire. How does... I know, I, know, I know in football there's the uh, fourth official who sort of does a bit of the technical officer role that, we, that Susie was talking about in one of our, our other episodes for this, uh, but it also acts as a, as a substitute uh, yes. for, for umpires who may put a hamstring or do, do themselves a mischief. What's the process in hockey? Um, so domestically there isn't really um, anyone. Uh, if say for whatever reason I was just doing a club game and I got injured, it would then be up to the, the home team to, to provide another um, graded umpire to, to cover for me. Um, but then when we start to get to the sort of uh, playoffs um, and cup finals, when there's a bit more of a showcase for the, for the match, um, you'll find that there will be reserve umpires appointed just in case there is any injuries. And then as you go into the Europeans and the, and the international matches, there is reserves there as well. So you are a, a three-man team. 
So, so gone are the days of uh, shouting out to the to the crowd. Does anyone yes. know the rules? Yes, right. <laughs> and I'm sure you get all the players to say yes. We know all the rules, but whether they do or not is a different question. Yeah, I think we can swing back round to that later on, uh, perhaps. Um, of uh, what players are, are more more or less enjoyable to uh, to to umpire, but um, in terms of so you're, you know, so you're, you're starting out of, uh, in your career, the early parts of your umpiring career. Um, what sort of education did you have to go through? Um, so to obviously become a, a graded umpire um, back, in the, back in the day when I'd done it, um, scary thought, considering I'm only 25 and I'm saying back in the day. Um, but we had to do a, what was called the C badge, um, which is now the, the level one, which consists of a um, 75 question theory test, which is open book. Um, so you can have the rule book beside you, it's not a problem. Um, flick through that when you need. And once you've passed that, you would then be assessed for your, your practical ability. Um, and at that stage, it's just a case of can you do the basics? Do you know? when when to step in and when not um so once you've done that you can then do certain levels of games um at that point i was obviously still being mentored by by my dad um, there was a couple other boys within the club um that were, were, were helping me george guy from east district he was helping me out quite early on um he'd yeah. seen me as a player and when i was playing for east district under 14s he was actually the coach at that point um, is that local legend, George Guy? It is indeed. No. It is indeed. So I do have a lot of credit to, to give to George Guy, to, who started out my umpiring career, especially at the East District under-14s, um, and got me involved in the inter-districts as an umpire and stuff like that, where you would be coached by a, a, an umpire manager. Um, so once I'd done that, one of the, one of the other um, guys that's well-known within Scottish hockey, Ali Dick, he actually does all the National League appointments um he he was part of my club so i dump her regularly with him and he'd see my development i would do quite a lot of veteran games as well on a monday night um that he was the, the fifers team manager or team coach so he would be there and be able to provide tips and pointers um to me so it was just a constant um coaching plan basically evolving coaching plan to get me up to to speed and then um one night um, on a Thursday night my phone goes just after I'd finished school at the age of 14 and it is Mr Dick himself and uh, he asked what, what am I up to tonight and I was like well nothing I probably would have gone training but apart from that nothing there's a rearranged National League game that needed to be umpired and he didn't have anyone he was on one end and he didn't have anyone for the other end so he asked if I wanted to do it um, Obviously, being a 14-year-old, absolutely elated at this fact that I've just been asked to do my first ever National League game, um, which I believe was National League 1 at the time as well, between ESM and Cala, which just shows how far back it might actually go um, at Mary Erskine when they only had one pitch. Um, should, should we, that... we, we, can, we can possibly tell um, our non-hockey player um, Audience here that in hockey there are two umpires who basically run alternate L shapes up and down the pitch. Um, yeah, yeah, so there's two umpires on the pitch all the time in hockey, similar to I think in in basketball and netball. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I think as you said, obviously two two the two umpires um, running L shapes normally to your right hand side. You'll control. Um, you'll agree on an area of control, but it's sort of diagonal across the pitch, and you'll control one circle and your colleague will mainly control the, the other circle but you, you can give advice and, and help out when, when necessary um in how, your colleague circle how helpful is is um, as a 14 year old in your first national first division game um how helpful is it to have perhaps a more experienced person oh it was it was absolutely um amazing to have him because it was someone I'd umpired with quite a lot um, I knew what he was going to do I could put my full trust into him um, and, and and he trusted me to, to, to some extent as well he knew I would be able to do the job um, and if I wasn't sure then I would ask the question and I think that's quite a key, <coughs> excuse me that's quite a key aspect um, trust in your in your colleague um, 
because I'm pretty sure if 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 it was anyone else, they might have thought, well, well, who's this boy? We've never seen him before in any of the national league things. He's only 14. Why is why is he here? Um, the boys out there who's, who have sons older than you at the time, you know. Yes, aye, exactly. There was, I think, Ali had actually mentioned to the players and said, "Look, um, we're really struggling. This is his first ever national league game. I'm not going to let him ruin the game. If there's anything that that could potentially change the, the outcome of the game, I will step in." And all the players were absolutely great with it. Um, they didn't apply too much pressure on me. Obviously, frustration at times got the better of them. But once I proved my, my, my point that I, I could be there and I was capable of doing it, they, they got on with it. They tested me as you would with, with anyone new, um, see how, how much they can get away with. But once they realised, oh, you know what? This boy actually knows his stuff. And at the time, I was probably a little bit um, card happy. <laughs> I, I hate to admit it. Um, but yeah. Uh, well, back, back then, I think the green didn't mean anything, did it? Yeah, green cards meant nothing back then, because um, we're talking a good 11 years ago now. Um, now, now, now you get a rest and a water break. But, uh, yeah, exactly. You, you get a lovely little reward for that now. <laughs> um, so, we'll come back down to the cut to how uh, players treat umpires in, in a bit, but how do you think this two-umpire system works when compared to uh, a one referee situation perhaps as in uh, in football or in rugby where it's just one guy we have assistants they're touchline judges uh, but ha- but it's basically one person makes the decisions how do you think that can uh, the two systems uh, compare um, having the two systems sometimes um, I would actually do the, the sort of football style refereeing for pre-season just because you've got to cover the full pitch. So it's a good, it is a good workout, but it is incredibly hard to see everything because the ball is so small, it moves so fast, the sticks move, bodies get in the way. It's impossible to see everything. Um, so the two umpires, I think, work tremendously. Um, I know obviously in football and, and rugby, you've got your, your touch judges or your, your linesmen, which can help with things. But in terms of accuracy of decisions, to have the two... I think it's much better. How helpful is video referrals in this? Um, I've never, I've never used them um, personally yet, and I can't wait to use them. Um, but I think that, that my personal opinion on them is that they're second to none. I think, along with rugby, we're one of, and potentially cricket, we're one of the best sports to get the right outcome um, near enough, a hundred percent of the time. Um, I mean, football have tried to introduce it and they've just created an absolute mare with it. Um, I don't understand how they've been so bad with it. Um, but I think the video referrals are, are brilliant um, because obviously the umpires themselves can have their own referral um, if they're not sure, which at times we all get a little bit of doubt in ourselves and it, it can work well in your favour with players in terms of rapport if you go you know what boys I'm not actually sure about this hold on I'll go upstairs and have a have a wee look um, and even when you go down the levels and you've not got the video referral even just going to speak with your colleague at the other end who's got a different angle a different view on it um, it's nice at times to get a bit of reassurance especially considering it's just you two against 22 what I like about the the uh, hockey video referral when compared to the football VAR is it's, it's not all the time. As in, they, they, they completely trust the umpire unless it's asked for. Yeah, yeah, correct. Um, and I think, I think that gives, more, gives off more respect in my eyes because um, as you say, we're being trusted to get it right and it's only in certain instances can the teams actually ask can we have a look at that? Because we're not sure you've got that right. Or we think something's happened that you've missed. And I think that makes the players trust us more. I, I, I was smirking though. It was a pro league game. I think, I think it was the Indians who got something like four or five in a row. Correct. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I remember, I remember watching that. But that just all comes down to angles, unfortunately. Um, obviously, we're all human. We're not going to see everything, um, especially the speed of the international game. You're not going to see everything. Um, I've spoken to a couple of colleagues and stuff that I've used video just to see how it feels um, having a video referral put in against you that turns out you, you've either missed something or you've called something wrong. And I imagine it's it's quite um, daunting, that fact. Um, but it's just a case of how you move on and, and get over the fact and make sure you, your next decisions are correct. So I feel sorry for that umpire a little bit because that must have taken a lot of mental strength to, to move on from that and carry on with the match. Swing back to yourself. So you played you play Scottish Youth as a player. Uh, yeah. You got into umpiring after your, your, your knees went, gave up. Um, what level of umpiring have you got, gotten to now? Uh, so at the minute, um, I'm currently doing Men's National League 1 um, indoor um, and then the Premiership outdoor. It's, it's effectively the same level. It's just been dif- branded differently. Um, in terms of, I'm on the, the European hockey list as well for outdoor and indoor, which means I can go to tournaments all over Europe um, and umpire if Scotland have got a team there, or even if Scotland don't have a team, I can be the neutral umpire, which means I could do any game in the tournament, um, which is the first step onto becoming um, a, a world-level umpire, basically, which means you could go to Olympic Games, World Cups, everything like that. Um, it, it's not been an easy task to get where I am today. I have been on a couple of um, development courses as well. I was put on the Umpires for Europe course, which was run by the uh, European Hockey Federation, and that consists of um, you do you get assigned a mentor from a different part of Europe. It's a three-year program. And you'll do quite a lot of webinars and, and um, video conference calls and you'll discuss a lot of things with your mentor. And then you go to Holland for a weekend um, where there's a, a, tour, a massive tournament run um, that consists of under-16s, under-18s, boys and girls um, with all the top Dutch clubs. There's a couple of Belgian clubs that come across as well. Um, and there's about 30, 36 umpires on this programme and you're watched by your own mentor and, and all the other mentors that are part of the program, which all provide different feedback. And then, and then you can, there'll be the next step of the European development um, program, which is called the UDP, the Umpire Development Pathway. <coughs> Excuse me. Their, um, their, their lead, um, their, the head of the program will come and watch umpires at the tournament, and that's your assessment to then step up to the next program. Um, which is effectively a fast track to get you into higher levels and grades. How how important is is firstly that um, that mentorship in terms of development, but also how important is that cross pollination between different different parts of Europe, different different cultures. I think mentoring is a, is a huge aspect um, to to. If you were to expect someone to go out and be able to do it all alone, you're not going to get anywhere. Um, I mean, if you look at Scotland as a nation, for the size of us, we are one of the best um, nations in terms of having really top, strong umpires and technical officials. I mean, currently you've got Martin Madden and Sarah Wilson, who are easily top top three in the world. Um, they're just un- unbelievably good. And then obviously your technical officials, you've got people that have been to World Cups, Olympics, um, everything like that. And I doubt they would have got there without mentoring. Everyone, it's always good to have someone that you can go and talk over a decision or talk over a game and, and just get their view. They might not have seen it, but from what you've said, they might be able to tell you tell you something that you can go, ah, right, okay, maybe I sh- I'll, I'll try this next time. And then if they are there watching, they can open up your mind a little bit to get different, um, make you just think a little bit more about behind your decision making or whether it be your, your, your pre-match preparation, your, your, your in-match um, uh, positioning, your, your management styles, anything like that. 
Um, I think any feedback is 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 great at all. Whether even if it comes from players or coaches, because yeah, it might be a little bit tinted, but it's something little nuggets of information you can take away and and then think about. Oh, maybe I did do that, or maybe I didn't do that. Maybe I need to do that. Maybe I don't need to do that. Um, so I think mentoring is very key. And then in terms of obviously bringing Europe together, I also think that's a really key aspect because obviously hockey is governed by the FIH. It's one set of rules. So we need to make sure that although national associations might have some interpretations a little bit different, that when we do go to the European tournaments, it's been blown exactly the same way. So it is consistent. And we've not got someone from Switzerland blowing their interpretation, someone from Germany blowing theirs, and then me from Scotland blowing my interpretation. So there's no consistency in the games. So I think having the weekends where you're all coming together or the, the seminars online, I think I think that's is brilliant for the game as well because it's one set of rules for everyone. In ter- in terms of interpretation <clears throat> and education, I was speaking to uh about this with another umpire for, uh, I interviewed for this series, uh, Keely Dunn. Oh, yes, yeah. Of FH umpires. Um, and she's talking a lot about this in, t- in terms of, although there may be, there may be differences in culture and where, where you may let something go or when let something go, really, in terms of the rules, it should be factually one interpretation. Yes. It's only one way to interpret a kick, for example. Yes, exactly. Um, um, according on on paper, yes, um, but then obviously you've got to decipher: was that deliberate? Was it not? So, so that's where your your interpretations come in. She also does a lot of uh, video clips, and she breaks in the clips, and maybe even getting a guest umpire to sit with her for her live streams. They they they, they try and give insights into why the rule is like that and what what and how the umpire came to that decision how important is that visual aspect to the education development of umpiring and for a more unified interpretation yeah i think i think um with everyone learning differently obviously the, the, the different learning styles having it as a visual i mean um i've watched a couple of keely's videos and i, I think the work she does is absolutely brilliant um it, it's absolutely second to none whether it just be for club umpires or players that just want to have a little bit of an insight or even like myself international guys that are coming through still working their way up the ladder it's absolutely second to none and then now obviously she started doing the umpire at home where she's getting the umpire that was from the game and to get their thoughts on it and, and what was going through their, their their head at the time is is absolutely brilliant um I, like I say, I've watched quite a few of them and I, I, I've learned quite a lot um, from them. Um, what have you learned? It's just a case of uh, like the different styles. Obviously, growing up in, in, in Scotland, obviously, Martin Madden's always been the top boy. And, and with him being a police officer, his personality is, this is how it's happening. If you don't like it, tough. He, 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 very, he carries on his, his work role onto the pitch. And it works for him. And it just shows, I mean, Keely done one with, with Adam Cairns, who's, who's completely different, who has completely different personality to... The Aussie bloke, is he? Yes. Yeah. Um, completely different to, to Martin Madden in terms of styles. He can get to that level, but he will go through everything else first. Um, it is an absolute last resort. And it's just trying to... What I learned from Keely's videos is trying to adapt those management styles and, and, and having empathy with the players. That's always been a, an aspect of my game that I, I need to work on. Um, it's getting there now, but it's something that still and still needs to be worked on. And while we're not umpiring at the minute because of, because of COVID and this lockdown, I think it's important to, to just stay on the ball a little bit so that when this does all blow over, we're not starting back at square one. We we still got some insight. We're still watching games. We we still our rules are still ref, uh, fresh in our head. What makes a good umpire? The ideal umpire. That's a, that's a difficult. Uh, that's a difficult question. Um, I think it's got to be someone that's. He about twenty five with a beard and a peck. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. I'm not. I'm not saying I'm the perfect umpire. I wish I was, but absolutely not. 
I think someone it's got to be someone that's receptive to to learning and other people. Um, because if you go out there thinking that you you are it, you are the perfect umpire, you're just going to crash and burn. Um, you've got to accept you're going to get decisions wrong. You're going to have people challenging you. You you've there's a number of factors you've got to take in. Um, the perfect umpire, you've got to be able to to hold your hands up, say you're wrong, apologize, um, and like I say, take take advice on board. People that don't take advice on board, they're not going to go very far. Um, even if you don't believe it or agree with it, just take it on board to that person. Yeah, sure, not a problem. And then try it. If it doesn't work for you, move on. Um, but if it's a recurring theme, then it's something you've got to you've got to address because there obviously is something. Um, All right, so slightly different angle to this question, to the same question of how do you analyse that? What is the sign of a good game or a bad game? Um, thing is, with to say what was a good game, what was a bad game, I've had games where I've came off and I've thought, mm, I've not been as good as I could have been. And then I've gone into the debrief with the umpire manager and he was like, yeah, fine, no problems. So I think it all depends on what your your, your personal and internal standard is where you set the bar internally as to where you want to perform um i mean i'm i'm very i'm very critical of myself very very critical of myself um especially mentally i suppose in a debrief okay okay so put it this way if you're debriefing yourself what do you look for if you're mentoring somebody else how do you debrief that other umpire um so for myself, obviously, I know the level I'm at. I know what, if I was to go into a debrief, I know what the umpire managers are going to be picking up on. Um, because as you go up the levels, it's a lot more technical. It's much more nitty-gritty. So what are, what are those levels? Then? What's that, what's that? Um, so obviously, you start off at your, your, your level one, um, which is you, you do the sort of basic club hockey, low-level stuff. And then as you step up, you've got your, your B1 and your B2, which is you're then looking at... Um, regional high but but higher up in the uh, district leagues you can also start to do national league when you become a b badge and then your your, your a is split into to three parts your a1 your a2 and your a3 which is your your, your high-end national leagues and potentially uh, national uh, internationals as well um at a b badge you can obviously do junior internationals 16s 18s um and then once you once you your A, you go up to a national badge. All right. So how would you how would you critique yourself personally internally compared to say uh, uh, the basic if you were mentoring one of the basic grade umpires? Yeah, I think um, I'm not going to be looking so nitty gritty. I'm going to try and give them nuggets of information that's going to help them to progress to their next level. If I was to go in and debrief them how I would expect to be debriefed, it's just going to go straight over their head. It's potentially too much information. They're missing out too many steps to get there. Um, I mean, obviously, I've been umpiring for that long. It, it sort of comes second nature to me now. Um, whereas people that are just starting out, they, they might have their own personal interpretations to rules or might not be... Give me an example. Give me an um, for yourself. Yeah, for, I th- for, a, for a mentee. I think it's in terms of, of, of danger. Danger is quite a big aspect of the game. What is dangerous? What's not dangerous? Um, and obviously, as you go higher up the levels, the player's skill level gets higher. So technically, the danger level should come down because they can play a ball up in the air above their heads. They can bring it down. Whereas if you've got 14, 15-year-olds playing in the lowest division, they're not going to have the skill level to do that. Um, they may, and I'm not trying to put a blanket out that no 14 or 15-year-old can pick a ball out of the air. That's not what I'm trying to say. But they're less likely to be able to control a ball that's straight above their head and they're having to potentially jump for it. So it's, it's got to be, you've got to think safety is the main thing. Um, so for someone like at my level, we might play on might play, play on a little bit longer than what you would expect as you step down the levels because the, the skill level might not be as high. Because as an umpire, first and foremost, is safety of the players. 
Um, the last thing I would want is, even if I was met watching and someone mentoring, is them to, to try and be brave and play on and then someone getting a ball to the face or the head um, because we, we, we've seen what the damage it can do if you look at Sam Ward. Mm. Um, I, was, I was there, that game was horrible. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Um, so, I mean, trying to mentor someone else. I mean, um, one of the boys I, I do try and mentor... Um, Ross Anderson, he he's currently a, a B badge. I think he's got his first part of his A. Um, he he he's an older sort of older than me, um, but not long started out umpiring. And I think it's just a case of what have I been told that I can now pass on to other people. Um, I mean, I do quite a lot of the sort of inter districts, under sixteen, under eighteen, inter districts as as an umpire manager. So I can try and provide that information on. Um, and it's a lot of boys that are sort of just sort of just below me um, in terms of grading and level wise. They're still umpiring National League one most weeks, so I will then ask them for for feedback on on my mentoring skills, so I can then develop or or debrief styles, so I can then develop as well. Um, but it's just trying to tone down the information or the what you're looking for. It's I think it. As you go down the gradings, it's got to be more decision based, I think, um, rather than or or positioning based things that's going to help them rather than being too negative and saying that they were wrong. It's got to be more constructive and more more positive, especially to keep them involved. All right, so I'm I'm gonna. I mean, that's that's good from in terms of umpire education. That's that's so. Thanks for that good information. I'm gonna throw a specific umpiring management example at you. Sure. Right. I'm an awful hockey player. Right. Anyway, ask Susie. <laughs> All right. She, she's umpires in my summer hockey games. Right. Um, so playing in, in a Mickey Mouse league in sort of district level Scotland, I think means sort of second or third division district level in Scotland. So old guys, young kids. Yeah. Right. Opponents as a young lad playing for them who had obviously been exposed quite a lot that season to uh, a higher level. Okay. I don't think he was named first team. Yeah. He was really a bit too young, but he was obviously one of the more up-and-coming stars, rising stars yeah. in the club. And so he, he, he controlled the ball above the shoulder in a crowd. And one of his teammates says, Oi, you can't do that. This ain't national one. Right. Uh, if I did it, it's dangerous. If he does it, it's not. It's perhaps not so dangerous. But if he's allowed to do it, and I'm allowed to do it, yeah, yeah. Uh, how do you manage that as an umpire? I think you've got to manage that on each individual basis. I mean, obviously, you've said it's in a crowd um, and everything like that. You ca- you can't really paint the, the perfect picture, unfortunately. Um, everything as an umpire comes down to to situations. Um, it depends who's around, how fast is the ball traveling. Um, fair enough he's picked it up above his shoulder but has he got it has he got it cleanly has it dropped straight to him or has it came off a top edge and disappeared um, but like you say if he can do it and it, and, it, and it is safe then yeah play on get on with it um, it's good skill we're not there to punish good skill if you want to try it fine not a problem um, if you mess up then yeah and it, and it then becomes dangerous then yeah I'm, I'm going to going to step in Um if you do it and you manage it, fine, play on. I, I don't have, as you go down the leagues, I think it's, it's much more, even as an umpire, it's much more about allowing people to play hockey and, and only stepping in when it does get dangerous or, or there is something that could change the game, um, the outcome of the game. Obviously, the rules are still there and still need to be enforced. But, I mean, personally, I wouldn't go down and umpire an East Division 4 game the same way as I would umpire Belgium versus Germany under 21s. Because it, it, it just wouldn't work. The whistle would be going constantly because there'd be more stick tackles, there'd be more more feet potentially. It, it would just be more clumsy. It wouldn't be as, as fluid as what the, the under 21s would be. Um, so, so the situation you, you've said, I, th- I think it's a case of, you know what, if you've got the skill to do it, then, then yeah get on with it as long as it's not dangerous if it's dangerous to yourself then I, I'm not interested in that it's dangerous to the other people around you I find that interesting as, as in if you choose to, to 
bit of in danger, then that's your choice. You say the same thing about running one at short corners. Yeah. Um, but there is the whole thing of obviously kamikaze running. You're not allowed to do that exactly. You've got to be you've got to be making an attempt to play the ball. You can't just be running straight down the, the barrel of obviously the player. Um, but it's people that, that put, even the postmen that put themselves on the line. And you know what, if it hits you on the face mask and goes wide, you've put yourself to stand there. No, no one's asked you to stand there, or the keeper might have, but you've decided to stand there. So it's still a foul against you. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've not had anyone argue that to me for a while. What do you... Um... I remember hearing somewhere, I can't remember, it may have been from a Kelly Dunnett view and the reverse tick, I can't remember. Oh, someone else. Um, but I heard there's no, it, I heard that there's yet to be guy, uh, exact guidelines on the size of, of hand and knee, knee guards for uh, postmen and runners at short corners. So basically, you, you can fit, in theory, put on keeper kit run one and it's be a huge obstacle yeah i think i think there is guidance um especially when you go higher up in terms of because as you go to european tournaments obviously all the kit gets checked goalkeeper's kit has got to be within certain sizes um so i believe the pen all the penalty corner stuff does get checked because mm-hmm. there was a season where um one of the teams were using ice hockey gloves for running at penalty corners, which obviously made the hand much bigger. Um, and I think that was, it was brought to, to Scottish hockey's attention and it was said, no, you can't, you can't do that. Um, yeah, I mean, Scottish hockey was that? I'm not sure. Off the top of my head, I can't remember. Something, there's something at the back of my head that's telling me that it says you can't make the hand significantly larger. It must be within the, the size, regular sizing of your hand. Um, but you look at some of the gloves and they are they are quite large. Um, I used to play with, with a fullback who had a ginormous hand guard. Just yeah. a knuckle guard. It, yeah. it was like a boxing glove. Yes. I've seen UFC fighters with smaller gloves. Mm-hmm. One of the, the Greys International gloves, I remember correctly. They're quite large, yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of penalty corners, in terms of knee guards, um, when you go higher up, yeah, you, you, you get they get checked. Um, I mean, if it was club level, I would I would honestly safety is anything. You want to wear that fine. If the t- other team's got a complaint with it, then take it to the district or 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 someone else. But for the unless it was something substantial, I'm happy to to put air on the side of caution in terms of of, of safety. If, as, long uh, as, it wasn't, as long as it wasn't full goalkeeping kit. If there was a short corner at your end and there was five people all in hockey keeper helmets along the line, what, what would you say? Yeah, that, that wouldn't be happening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that certainly wouldn't be happening. Um, and then I think, worst case scenario, if they, they weren't having any of it, you've got to abandon the game because they're not abiding by the rules. You would just have to keep going through the captain and obviously try and resolve it first of all but if they're not going to play by the rules then obviously there's a couple of options you could take as an umpire how do you like to interact with players are you a, are you a bowler are you a, are you a conversationalist i think it depends um on how they approach me um there's certain players that you've, you've got to talk to you've got to work with them otherwise you're just fighting fire with a straw and a pint of water um, other players, you've just got to be set. You've got to be strict and set the line with them really early on, um, and then work work back from that. Um, in my younger days, I was I, I demanded respect rather than try to earn it, um, which is never going to work. But being fourteen, fifteen, being a teenager. You've not exposed to the outside world yet. You, you you just you're put in a position of power, and unfortunately, that did go to my head for a couple of years. Um, and obviously, I've managed to to grow out of that. Um, and it is a lot more a case of earning the respect. And I think the players now have seen me develop, have seen me change. I've been on the scene for long enough that they will come and ask a question rather than shouting at me, or they might shout in frustration. But then afterwards, they'll come in either apologise or ask the question. Um, they might not like my response in terms of the answer to the question because it's not gone their way or, or anything like that. But 
when I first started out, that, that wouldn't happen. I mean, there's times where I do follow the stance of Martin Madden. If you shout at me, I'm going to shout at you back. Um, but other times that's just going to create more problems. So you've got to be shouted at and then call them in and just be like, right, you need to calm down before I put you off for two or five minutes. In, t- in terms of assertiveness uh, and, the, and how uh, umpires and players communicate with, with each other, how, uh, how useful or how much of a hindrance is a microphone, be, uh, an active and recording microphone um, for umpiring? I mean, so the, the radios we use um, just domestically, they, they're open mics, so you, you can hear everything your colleagues saying. And I think that, that's really, really good um, because you can hear what's been said 70 yards away. So you know what your colleague has said to a certain player. Mm. Um, so then at, at the second half, if you've got him right in front of you, you can be like, well, you've already been told once, like, deal with it. So you're still on the same page. You're not doing two different things. Um, in terms of the, the, the live constant, like they have in the FIH, and it's been recorded and broadcasted out, um, I don't feel I'd have too much um, issues with that. There might be the odd slip up every now and again, um, but it's a case of when you know you've got that on, you've, you've got to be switched on with it. Um, I mean, it's domestically you'll, you'll have your, your umpire manager listening in at times. So it, it does change a little bit the way you use the radios or the, the conversations you have with players because you know you've got someone else listening in that might take it a little bit different. Forgetting about your relationship with that player. I mean, I know that there's players out there that I could say whatever I like to and they would go, yeah, okay. Like they might disagree with it at the time, but then afterwards they'd be like, yeah, you're totally fair in what you said to me. Like I totally deserved that. But if I had an umpire manager listening in, they'd be like, you can't talk to a player like that. Like that's just bang out of order. Um, so it, it's trying to, it's trying to manage that accordingly. Um, I mean, one of the best ones, I think, is, is mainly university students. And when you do, like, the school's cup finals and stuff like that, when you've got, like, ESM, Loretto, stuff like that, um, they all call you sir. There's a lot of respect. They all, they all call you sir, which is the first time it happened. It's quite strange to be called sir as an umpire. Um, but they're used to doing. They're used to obviously having teachers or lecturers umpiring them. So I think that's it. Just comes as habit to them. Um, I remember watching the Euro Hockey Championships last year. I think it was, and um, one of the players had to be sinbin because he'd he'd uttered an expletive uh, whilst yeah. on the pitch, touching distance from an umpire with his microphone. And the umpire says, you've just sworn on a live feed, I've got to sin bin you. Whereas uh, the, the, criticism, the criticism I heard of that was, if it wasn't a mic, it would have gone, don't swear, go away. And it, it, it would have taken that player off the pitch for two minutes. Yeah, that, that, that's quite an interesting one. Um, I know obviously there has been times games I'm doing, you've, you've got to go to players, go and just, just watch your language. Like, it is a bit much. Um, obviously, I've never experienced the, the live feed mics before. Um, I've experienced, obviously, games being live streamed um, onto, like, YouTube or the Euro Hockey channel, um, stuff like that. So you've got to be a bit wary of it. But I've, I don't think I've ever had to send a player off for expletives. Um, I've certainly warned players but in terms of if it's just frustration and it's not aimed at anyone, I mean, we're, we're all human. Emotions get the better of us. You've got to give them the chance, I feel, at the level I'm at anyway, to, to say, right, just rein it in a little bit. Obviously, each tournament you go to, you, you have a slightly different briefing, um, depending on whether it's been live streamed, whether it's been broadcasted television um, and stuff like that. So if, that, if that's what that, umpire, that group of umpires have been told to do, then that's what they've got to do. Um, but, yeah. In terms of tournaments, uh, how important is the communication uh, within uh, the, that group of tournament umpires? I'm watching the second tier Euro Hockey Championships in Glasgow 
guys, yeah. I, was, I was covering it for a different organization. And every times where a player would be, would be, would get away with something in, in one game with one set of umpires, and then two days later, be sinbinned for exactly the same thing or something very, very similar by a different umpire within the same tournament. Yeah, I mean, going going at previous tournaments, um, you've got you've got umpires from all over Europe, uh, and sometimes out with Europe as well. So what one umpire might miss could be a development point on their side, but it might be something someone's really strong on, um, and another umpire's really strong on or picking up. So the the communication, yeah, I think there's there's been. Um, colleagues I've spoken to have been like, oh, when I was watching him, I've seen him do this, so just make sure he's not doing it. Um, or even during the game, if I've spotted something that's off the ball my colleague's not seen, I'd be like, just just keep an eye out for him. He, he's up to something or or they're up to something, especially if it's like in in their circle. It's uh, Everyone's marking very close and it becomes a bit football-like where there's shirts being pulled or, or sticks being held and stuff like that. Um, and and when you're away at tournaments, if there if there is something that's been picked up on or being missed constantly, and if a team's noticed it or uh, the umpire manager has noticed it, then there might be meetings held where they can go. We need to be a little bit sharper on this um, because we're missing this. So then, like you say, two days later, it might be the first time it's been picked up, but he's got away with it in the last two three matches. So that's where the communication comes in because tournaments change constantly and every game is different. You can't, you can't go in with the same game plan for every game you do. But, but hopefully it's evolving and not devolving. Yeah, exactly. Like you, you'd, want it, you'd expect it to get better as the tournament goes on and, and hopefully not worse. Favourite tournaments to umpiring and why? Um, my favourite tournaments, that's, that's a tough one. Um, I think I'd probably have to say my first European tournament um, in Glasgow, uh, under 18B division. It was my first ever EHF appointment. And the fact it was a home appointment just made it that little bit more special um, because I, I, I could have like my mum and dad come and watch me. My, my partner at the time could have came through. My sister came up from air with my nieces. Um, so it, it just made a little bit more, a little bit more to me anyway. Did um, boo sorry. Did it boo you? Uh, I got, I got some abuse from, from my niece. Yeah. I got some <laughs> abuse from my niece. Put your on. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think it, it just settled my nerves a little bit more because I knew the pitch, I knew the surroundings. I didn't have to, I wasn't going to potentially experience food or a culture that I've not experienced before. Um, so for me personally, that in one aspect, Glasgow was probably my, my favourite tournament, which was my first one. Um, but then again, like I say, I, I've been to Gibraltar the year after um, and that was just phenomenal as well. Being out in the sun, um, right next to Gibraltar's hockey pitch and hockey stadium is right next to the runway for the for, for their airport. So you're umpiring a game of hockey and you've got a British Airways A320 trying to land beside you or take off. And it just provides its own challenge. And it's something so unique, you're never really going to potentially experience again. Strong hand signals, perhaps? Yeah, it's a, it's a lot more... Uh, obviously, hand signals come in. You've got a bit more leeway with the players when they say oh sorry I didn't hear the whistle it's one of the ones where you can actually go yeah maybe you didn't hear the whistle because there's just a, a plane just taken off literally 100 feet from us so I will give you benefit of the doubt there um, and Gibraltar as a country is just phenomenal um, it, it, yeah it's just stunning How's your Spanish? Well thankfully there was, there was a lot of English uh, English spoken there, so there wasn't too bad. I mean, I remember obviously landing at Gibraltar Airport and uh, you're going through the passport control and they just see it's a British passport and they're just wave you on, like, yeah, it's fine, we don't even care, you're British and you come. I suppose it's one of these unique, unique places where it's beautiful sunshine, warm weather, no rain, and then you still get a pint and a pie in a pub. Correct. It, the way I, when I came back, the way I referred to it as my parents was it's basically Britain, but in the sun. 
I've, I've always thought of the Australians being basically British, but if they were happy. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd probably say the same. That's a bit like uh, Gibraltar, to be honest, yeah. Um, less deadly than Australia, but yeah, you're in the sun constantly. Um, you, you can go to, you can pop into Malaga if you want. It's only an hour away, so you can pretend like you're on holiday. Um, still, yeah. still pouring the British people there, I'd, I'd imagine, Malaga. Yes, I would imagine so. Um, they're probably my favourite outdoor tournaments. Um, indoor tournaments, I've been to a lot more indoor tournaments um, that haven't been official tournaments. They've been sort of friendlies or, or warm-ups. Um, I mean, I've been out to the United States three times to do their, their indoor championships. Um, and that, that, and that, that was phenomenal. First time I went there, I was 14. And that was just a totally different experience altogether. Um, it was my first real experience of a completely different style of hockey or, or traveling away, flying away for hockey. And it, 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 that was just amazing at the age of 14 to get that experience was, was phenomenal. Um, I mean, I was umpiring with some of the, some of the top umpires. Um, Ayanna McLean from Trinidad and Tobago, she was there. Um, Gus, uh, the American, Constantine. Uh, I can't remember how to pronounce the second name. Um, he's not long retired. Uh, Maggie Giddens from the United States as well. Like just meeting these people, that like people that I was looking up to, and I had the the, the chance to umpire with them um, at the age of fourteen. Um, it was just amazing. And looking at where they are now and where I am, you think I've progressed a lot. But obviously, they were already on the international scene, but they're continuing to progress because they're doing Olympics. World Cups, uh, obviously Pro League, everything like that. Um, one of the other favourite indoor tournaments is the Mason Cup in Denmark. Um, it's used as a warm-up tournament. and It's an unofficial warm-up tournament um, that you have. <clears throat> um, the, the, obviously, the hosts, Orient Lingby, they, 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 they hold the tournament. You're... you're about a kilometre away, your hotel's a kilometre away from the hall. Um, we had uh, Partilli, the, the European champions, uh, last year. They, they play in it. Um, last, the one I went to just in January there, um, you had Partilli, uh, UHC Hamburg were there as well. Dynamo Electra style were there. Um, it was another, another Danish team. and. There was a Danish, the Danish under twenty one team were there as well, and off the court and off the pitch, it's so relaxed and so friendly. But when you get on the court, it's so serious because they're all preparing for European, whether it be club or internationals. They're all they're, they're all preparing, and it's all played at a hundred percent. I mean, to umpire Johan Bjorkman and his brother. Um, is just unbelievable. Um, the, the skill on that boy, I have no idea how he does some of the stuff he does. Um, he's got to be the best indoor player I've ever seen, to be honest. Um, but yeah, that's such a great tournament and I, I, I feel privileged to be able to go in and involve myself in that. Um, there's a couple of Scottish boys go out each year um, and we try and, try and change it up. I mean, I've been out the last three years um, and obviously been invited out again next year, but I try and change who who comes with me just if if they want, or I'll take more than more than one Scottish umpire with me just so other people are getting the, the chance to see what it's like. I suppose exposure is important. Yeah, net, networking is absolutely huge. I don't think I would have got um, to go to half of these warm up or friendly tournaments if it wasn't through networking. Um, I mean, the one out in the in America. That all came about because Grove Mingus Hill used to hold a, a warm-up or a, an indoor tournament between Christmas and New Year. And I was umpiring at that and the Americans were over um, for that. And they seen me and went, do you want to come umpire our stuff? And I went, yeah, of course. Who's going to say no to that? Because they, they cover a majority of the costs as well, which is just brilliant. Um, so you don't even have to worry about that. Um, and like I say, networking's huge. You then network network with other people. The first time I was out in America, I got the chance while I was there 
Um, there was people from Trinidad and Tobago there, and they offered me the chance to go down there and do some of their stuff the following year. Um, and I was I was planning to, but due to a bereavement in the family, I was unable to go. Um, and since then, I think that, that that tournament's actually stopped. But networking is absolutely huge within hockey for for opportunities. Ambitions for the future. Ambitions for the future. Obviously, I can't wait to get back on the pitch. Um, to be honest, even if it's just to, even if it's just for, for a bit of training. Um, ambitions, obviously, to continue get appointments. Um, I've just had my application for my. FIH indoor badge um, sent away to the FIH because when I was in Bulgaria in February I achieved the grades for that um, so Scottish Hockey have just sent that away so I'm waiting to hear back for that um, so it just be to continue on the upward trajectory reaching, reaching the next panels getting as many appointments as I can and games under my belt um, and just do it as much as I can to be honest Duncan very much no problem thank you this has been a half court press production by Teo McLeod